God. They want to question God why that went on. If there's flooding or fire or drought, um, a, a loved one dies and we blame God or we question God's goodness or even question his power and authority. And we see that. We see that and we hear that around us all the time. People ask questions like, you know, so, so my question would be, you know, what do you do when life doesn't make sense? There's times that, you know, we just, we don't have all the answers, folks. We're, we're not promised the answers. Even as believers, God isn't promised to give us every answer for everything. We don't, we, he's told us to trust a lot. And so how, what do you do? What do you do when life doesn't seem fair? Why did that happen to them? It, it, you know, it, it, it amazes me when someone, I, I get it when children die, young people die and, and, and that, but, but when someone's 90 years old and a, and a, and, and a child or, or someone in the family is going, I just don't know why God would do that. Why, why would God do that? Why would God take my grandmother? Are you kidding me? I mean, it's, it's part, of, it's part of life, but, but people struggle with that, and oftentimes God is blamed in a negative way. We look at it, and we, we, throw, we cast blame on the Lord. So what do you do when you experience feelings of abandonment? You ever felt like that? Lord, where are you in this right now? Where, where are you? Lord, why, do you carest thou not that we perish? You're off in the boat asleep. You, you, are you sleeping while we're going through? We're about to drown here. Are you there? You ever, you ever feel that way? What do you do when bad things happen to good people? You know, for many questions arise like, uh, where was God in this situation? Why didn't God protect me or us or them? You know, they're good people. Or, or, or the other side of the coin, we hear this, God is judging them. I remember, I remember uh, doing a devotion. I'm going to read the verse in a moment that I read that night. But we went down to Katrina. We went down uh, after Katrina and went down to Mississippi and Louisiana. And we're doing work down there, mudding out, helping people with their homes. And, and I remember the talk was that God is judging New Orleans for their sin. That's, what, that's the judgment of God on New Orleans. Folks, if God was judging them for their sins, then we better buckle up and hang on here in Geneva. Because the same sins are in New Orleans are, are here. The same sins are in Vegas are here. So we, we got to be careful when we start making those kind of judgments, those kind of statements, and, and attributing. You know, you know, part of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and part of uh, blaspheming the Lord's name, using the Lord's name as vain, is when we start attributing to Him things He didn't do. Or we start giving credit to someone else for something God did do. Those are ways that, that we, we uh, take the Lord's name in vain. But John 9 says this, and you're probably familiar with this verse, these passages here. John 9 verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see that mentality that we, we've experienced it. Most of us in here, especially those of us who are a little older Christians, we've heard this kind of thinking and this kind of rationale. If something bad's happening, there was a sin in your life. There must be sin in your life. There's something, you know, God's judging you. And so their question to Jesus was, you know, Lord, why, who sinned? This man or his parents? Did he sin in the womb? Did his parents sin and now he's, he's born blind? That was their thinking. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Why was the man born blind? There was a purpose for him being born, born blind so that God could receive the glory. And, and we're going to see, we see what happens here. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Uh, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. 
and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, somebody that's smarter than me will have to convince me that Jesus didn't make a set of eyeballs. I'm convinced. He spit in the dirt, he made some clay, and he, and he puts up here and he fashions it on, their eye, on his eyes there. I believe Jesus made eyeballs. I believe he, he, he fixed whatever was not right. He did it with that clay. We're made of, we're just made of dirt, folks. He just took a little dirt and refashioned it, right? Repurposed it. But he, but he, but he, he, he healed that. Uh, he spit on the ground with the sign. He anointed the eyes of the man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. God did a great work there. And why did he, so why was the man born? Had he sinned? Was there something wrong in his life? No, that was God's plan. And God was glorified through that. All of that, the purpose. Now, I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't want to live my life blind. I don't know how old this man was. He, he, he was not a young man, I don't believe. He might have been 30, might have been 40. Could have been, could have been going for quite a while at, 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 at this in that state of life. But if that brought glory to God, I promise you today in glory, that man saying, it was worth it. It was worth it. That was great because my life brought glory to God. That's what our lives are all about, is to bring glory to God. So be careful when we, when we start saying, well, you know, God's judging this or God's judging that. They got sin in it. I got to be careful with those things, okay? So, so as, just in a way of introduction, how do we handle these situations when life doesn't make sense? Father, I pray you'll just bless this time now as we look to your word. Lord, give me clarity and thought to communicate, Lord, what you've laid on my heart and prepared in, in study. And Lord, just uh, now, I pray you'll take this and... Lord, use the inadequacies of my mouth and my mind, and, and God, I pray that you'll present yourself. People will hear you, not me. They'll hear from your word, not me. God, just uh, use me as a vessel in your hands to, 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 to present this, God. But I pray the Holy Spirit of God will speak to us and teach us and encourage us and bless us and challenge us and convict us, Lord, where it is needed. And uh, just do what only you can do, Lord, in this, and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Job. We're going to look at the book of Job this morning. Uh, we're going to look at the whole book, but we're going to primarily focus on two, two chapters and then highlight a little bit of the rest of it. But Job has a lot to say on this topic of what we're talking about this morning. Of how, do we, how do we do? What do we do? How do we handle these situations when life doesn't make sense? So let's look at some facts about Job. Number one, if you've got your, your outline there, number one, Job was a godly man. So you could say he was a good man, but I'll go further and say Job was a godly man. Look at verse 1 here in, in Job chapter 1. It says, There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Now I want to tell you what those words mean. So blameless, that blameless doesn't mean Job had never done anything wrong. It just says he was spiritually mature. He was a some translations say that he was perfect. He wasn't perfect in that he never sinned. He was mature. He was a mature believer. And so he was blameless. He was spiritually mature. He was upright. It's pretty simple. He was straight. He wasn't a crooked man. He was a straight man. Morally, he was straight. He feared God. And that means he feared him morally. He was, he was reverent toward God. You realize it's something we've lost today in our culture? Even in our Christian culture, there is a lack of reverence for God Almighty. We, we want to come to him like he's our homeboy. Now, he, Jesus is my friend, but Jesus is my God. And we should approach our Lord with reverence. We, we can come boldly before the throne, but man, I hate when I hear people that are just so flippant in the way that they approach God Almighty. 
Job wasn't a man to do that. He feared God. He was reverent toward the Lord. And it says that he shunned evil. The King James Bible says that he eschewed evil. You may have looked up that word before, but he eschewed evil, and it means he deliberately avoided it. He abstained from evil. So he's blameless, upright, one who feared God, and he shunned evil. Now, who said that about Job? Who said that? God did. Understand, God is the writer, the author. He might not have penned it, but God is the author. The Holy Spirit has told the authors, uh, the, the writers of the, the scriptures what to write. So we know that the Holy Spirit of God wrote this, so God wrote this. So we understand God is saying this about Job, that he is a godly man. He's a good man. And, and so we're going to see some things through Job's life that not only does, do, do bad things happen to good people, but bad things happen to godly people. Folks, we've got to understand that. If we think that being a Christian means that God puts a, this, this wall, this impenetrable wall around us and never lets anything bad happen to you, you're going to be very discouraged in your faith. And that's the problem with prosperity theology today. Oh, if you just have enough faith, God will protect you. He'll bless you. He'll give you that. He'll give you that. He won't let anything bad happen to you. And it's all lies out of the pit of hell. We know better than that. We know to be a child of God means we're going to face adversity. We're going to face, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be tribulation in our life. We understand that. And as a, if you're walking with the Lord and you're not facing some difficulties, you may not be walking with the Lord. Okay? There may be some reasons that, that you're not facing problems from the world. It's because you're walking with the world, not against it. So Job was a godly man. The second thing we see is Job was a blessed man. Verses 2 through 4, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He's blessed. His quiver is full. He has ten children here. Also, his possessions were, listen, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. Those were the servants. Those were people that worked for, for Job uh, and so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now, it's not talking about Job was just so awesome. He's just the greatest guy ever. That's not necessarily what we're saying. It, this is talking about the blessing, the prosperity. He was a prosperous man. He was a wealthy man. He was a powerful man in that day and that time of all the people of the East. Verse 4, And his sons would go and feast in their homes each on his appointed day and would send and invite their, sis their, their uh, three sisters to eat and drink with them. The appointed day, I understand that, would be on their birthday. So they'd throw birthday parties. And each one, when their birthday came up, they'd throw a big party. They'd get together and they'd feast at one of their homes. So Job was a blessed man. He has a, a wonderful family, a wonderful business, thriving. Everything's, everything in life's just going well. Now look at number three. Job was a faithful man. When I say faithful there, I'm talking about being full of faith. He was a man that was full of faith. Verse 5. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. Now understand what he's saying there. Sanctify is to make ceremonially clean, to consecrate, to set apart for God, to dedicate or to purify. He would sanctify them, his children, speaking of his children. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. You know what he did? He interceded 
for them. He interceded for his children. He was, interced- he was concerned about them. Do you pray for your children? Do you pray for your mom, dad, your brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles? Do you lift them up in prayer? Are you interceding for them? That's what Pope Job was doing. He was a faithful man. He was full of faith. He trusted the Lord, and he was, and he was leaning on the Lord. He was, he was sanctifying them and setting them apart and, and praying for God to do a work in their life. Number four, Job was a respected man. Verse uh, 6 through 8, we're going to primarily focus on verse 8 there. But now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Now, we don't understand this, but we know the truth is that Satan has access. He comes and he has access to the Lord, and the Lord talks to him. And, and that's what's going on here. And the Lord said to Satan, now I want to... Those that are in shape, we're going to talk about this more next week. But you see who initiates the conversation here. Satan doesn't come in running his mouth. He doesn't come into God's presence running his mouth. He doesn't say a word until the Lord speaks to Satan. And he asks Satan a question. He says, from where do you come? Now, he knew where from, from where he came, but he wanted to hear his response. So Satan answered and said, uh, the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Now, we know, we, we can relate that verse to a New Testament verse, right? That he, that he roams and he's seeking whom he may devour. Satan is always looking. Who can I get? Who is vulnerable? Who, who, who has walked away from the Lord? Who's walked away from the fold? Who is without the protection of God right now? And, and Satan's doing that. That's what he was doing then. Nothing's changed. Satan works the same way today. Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Satan, Again, God insti- uh, instigates the conversation. And he says to Satan, He says, Have you considered, have you thought about, have you looked at my servant Job? Now, I'm going to tell you, that'd be a great thing to hear the Lord say, wouldn't it? My servant. You know, he can say that about any one of us that's a child of his. You know, and I hope we're living our life in a way that he, he could say that or would say that. But he says, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, again, who said that Job is a good and godly man? Who said that? God did. This is the second time now that he said it. He has said it now again. God has said it. He said it back here in the, in the inspired writings. He says it here in the inspired writings where he is talking to Satan. Have you considered Job? Boy, he is, he is, he is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. And so, so he is a respected man. If God even sees the way he, he observes the way Job is living his life and his faithfulness to God. Verse five, or number five here. Job was a protected man. Focus on verse 10, but we'll read 9 through 12 right here. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Now he's going to make a kind of an accusation here. And it's going to sound like Job is, is challenging God. I mean, I mean, Satan is challenging God. That's what it sounds like right here. But the, the, the reality of it is if you, if you look at this, you understand that the, the, the Lord is the one who's issued the challenge. The Lord is the one who started the conversation. And the challenge is already being issued to Satan. Have you considered Job? Hey, you're walking back and forth, to and fro. You want to see who you can devour. Have you considered my servant Job? Bet you ain't paid much attention to him, have you? And Job said, or Satan says, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. Now, there's an accusation there. We don't see, hear God refuted. It sounds as though God has blessed and protected Job. There is a hedge of protection around him because Job is 
is walking with the Lord, he is blessing his life. Verse 11, but now, Satan says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. That's the challenge. Satan says, you take down the protection. You quit protecting him. You touch his body. You touch him and he'll curse you to your face. You know what he's saying? You know, God, God here's what Job's doing. He loves you because you take care of him. He loves you not because of who you are, but because of what you do for him. That's, what, that's the, the thing going on here. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Either Listen, everything in life, we've talked about this. I think we even prayed this this morning. Everything in life either comes from his hand or through his hand. Satan, Satan ain't attacking. I, I love it when I hear people, oh, Satan's all over me today. Well, if Satan's over you, you're living closer to, to, to the Lord than, than I am. I don't know that Satan's ever even considered me. Now, his minions and his, his hordes, yeah. I don't know if Satan's ever paid any attention to me. I hope he doesn't. Hope he, well, actually, I hope he does. I hope I live my life in a way that he would. But I don't think he has. I don't think he will. But he's got, he's got his little hordes out that are messing with me. And... Uh, and, but here, here's what doesn't happen. There's no sneak attacks on me that, that God's not aware of, okay? And whatever's coming in my life, God's either brought it in my life or he's allowed it in my life. And folks, if we can just grasp that and understand that and we trust God, we can quit worrying about all the things that go on in life. Amen? Amen? Amen. You know, if you don't agree, say, oh, me. I'm telling you, that's a great place to be when we understand that everything is from his hand or through his hand. Number six, Job was a tested man. Look at what happened, verse 13. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were pl plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So all the oxen, all the donkeys have been taken. Part of his, his, his business has just been looted. They've taken everything. They've killed his servants. And one of them escaped and got away and, and came to tell him. Verse 16, while he, while he was still speaking, another also came and, and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Now the sheep have been killed. Well, that could be lightning. Maybe I don't. It sounds like lightning struck, and, and it killed the sheep. All the sheep, all the servants there are, are dead. All of them. This one escaped to tell him. Verse 17, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, now all, all that he had, all of his business, all of his way of making a living, all of his livestock, everything like that is gone. It's all gone. Now verse 18, while he was still speaking, this one still, they're just one after the other. This one finishes and this one jumps in. And, and now he says, and, and while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So get a picture of what's going on in, in this day, in this one day, Job lost his, his children he lost his business, all the ox, the sheep, the donkeys, and the camels. He lost his material possessions. He lost his employees. He lost everything of worldly significance. In just a matter of minutes, he gets the report of everything. Everything is gone. Number seven, 
Job was a tested, he was a tested man. Number seven, Job was a worshipful man. Verses 20 through 22. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and fell to the ground and worshipped. How would you respond in a day like that? We stump our toe, and we go negative. Job just lost everything. And he, and, he, and he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Man, what a testimony of how Job handled this. Now, you can get into right here, you can get into more of the, the, the war that went on in heaven and and, and because that's what it is. This is a battle of good versus evil. This is a battle of Satan trying to, you know, it, God has challenged Satan. Satan thinks he's challenged God, but God had a man he could trust. And, and this has brought glory to God in heaven because Satan has been defeated, just flat out defeated in this. Amen? I mean, we can, we can, we can go on and look at other things that happened, and we, but this we're going to focus right here. Verse 8 then, or number 8, Job was uh, a criticized man. All this happens, and we go over to chapter 2, verse 9, and we see his, his wife's response. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I remember teaching this, and, and someone came up afterwards, a lady came up and said, Well, you know, she was just, she was just concerned for him, and she just didn't want him to suffer anymore. So, yeah, so she said, Just go kill yourself. Curse God and kill yourself. I mean, it's what, that's what she said. Just put yourself out of this misery, Job. What are you doing? You still hold to your integrity, Job? She criticized the way he handled this. Uh, I guess he wasn't critical enough. He wasn't angry enough. He wasn't bitter enough to suit her. That's not a good response, ladies, okay? Guys, that's not the, the girl you want in a day like that, is it? That's not. That's not. Uh, so his wife criticized him. But we also find out his friends criticized him. Um, when, you, when you look at verse 11, um, here in chapter 2, verse 11 uh, through 13, and then we'll jump over to chapter 4, but, but look here at verse 11. I'm not going to read all that, but Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, these are his friends. These are his friends that show up. And, they, and, they, and they've come, they've traveled, and the verse says, for they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. So his friends come to comfort Job. And, then, and when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. And they sat down with him on the ground. And listen to this. Now I'm going to tell you, these are, these are not the greatest friends in the way they respond later on, but I'm going to tell you, I, to have friends like this, this is this, these are good friends in that sense. They they did care about Job because look what they did. They sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. They didn't say a word. That's going to change. You get over to chapter four. Job's going to start talking. He's going to start lamenting that you know I haven't done anything wrong. I don't know why this happened. That kind of stuff. And in chapter four, verse seven. Uh, 7 through 9, then uh, I think it's Eliphaz that responds here, and he says, Remember now, whoever, whoever, pu who, whoever punished, uh, I'm sorry, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble 
reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. So what was he saying? He's saying, Job, you're not innocent in this. You know, this wouldn't have happened if something wasn't wrong. There's sin in your life, Job. There's, you're not innocent. Well, they don't know what we know. We know that Job was a good man and a godly man, and Job, this came upon him without cause. Without, there was, this wasn't judgment from God. It wasn't punishment from God. It wasn't trying to get him to straighten out and walk right. Job was walking right. This was something he had no idea about. Job didn't know. They didn't know. And they come and they wrongly assume this. And now you're going to look at chapter after chapter after chapter in the book of Job where his friends are debating back and forth with him and basically pointing a finger in his face that, Job, you've got sin. And Job's going to do what we all would do. We get defensive. I, I didn't do anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. I've guarded my eyes. I've, tre- I've, I've never been inappropriate with a lady, with any of the servants, the female, the, nobody. I've, I haven't done these. I'm, I'm, I'm innocent in this. And then he becomes defensive, and he gets defensive with God. And we're going to see that then he begins to accuse God. And he, at some point, he's actually going to get to where he goes, I wish I, if I, it was like he's a trial lawyer. I'll bring all my information, I'll put it before the Lord, and I'll state my case, and he'll, and he'll, he'll have to say, yeah, Job, you're right, you're innocent. No, that, that's kind of his attitude, but that's not his attitude early on. He just shows that he's human. And he deals with the situation a lot like most of us would, maybe a lot sooner. But that's down the road. So Job was a criticized man, but Job was also a grieving man. And you go back to chapter 2, verse 13. I already read it, but I'm going to read it again. He said, so they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. Job is a grieving man. He is a heartbroken man. He is lost. You know, and at this point, he probably is like a lot of us would be. You know, if you lose everything and you've got your family, you go, man, praise God, I've got my family. We're, we're, you know, we've lost. We didn't lose any life. He lost lives. He lost his children. His family have died. And, and it's just his wife. And, and, and right, well, I'll leave that alone. The Lord was helping him grow right there, okay? It was an opportunity for growth, all right? So, so here's what I'll look at now. Getting an overview of what happened in Job's life. Job was a good man. Job was a godly man. He hadn't done anything wrong, and this comes upon him. I mean, this is, folks, this is, this is a, a true-to-life situation of what some people in our state are facing right now. They've lost everything. They've lost their businesses. They've lost their homes. Some have lost family. And it, it's a difficult thing. Some of you right now are facing the prospect of your homes being damaged. So what do you do? What do you do when these kind of things happen in life and life just doesn't make sense? What do you do? So we want to look this morning at some things we can do. All right, number one, you, you got to know this, right? you got to know this, that God's character does not change. Okay? you got to know that. You nail that down. God's character does not change. Verse 22, in all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Job didn't blame God, nor did he charge him foolishly. Verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Then when his wife had said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? Job understood where the good came from. He understood that everything he had, all, anything good came from the Lord. He said, are we going to accept good from the Lord and not accept adversity? Are we going to turn on the Lord when things don't go the way we want them to? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. 
Job chose integrity over foolishness. Why? Because he knew that God's character doesn't change. God is good. Well, I said it already. God is good. And all the time. Amen. So hurricane or job promotion, God is good. Lose your home or, or, or get a big pay raise, God is good. He's good. That doesn't change by my circumstances in life. He is good when good happens, and He is good when bad happens. Amen? we got to know that, that God's character does not change. Malachi 3.6, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was the same last Sunday as He is this Sunday. God's not less caring because a hurricane hit and there's devastation. He's, more, he's not more caring because he's all caring, right? He can't be more caring and he ain't less caring. He's all caring and he's, and he's working in every life, in every situation, and he's, 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 he's there. So God's love has not changed. God's compassion has not changed. Uh, uh, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions never fail. They fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's sovereignty has not changed. God's power has not changed. God's promises have not changed. God's holiness has not changed. God's victory has not changed. God's presence in our lives has not changed. God's character does not change. Second thing here is, is you got to choose this. Okay? So you need, to, you need to know this, that God's character doesn't change, but you need to choose this. And the word there is thankfulness. You've got to choose to be thankful. I, I, I'm, I, I, know, uh, I know a lot of people don't like for me to point them out or say stuff, but I've, I've texted quite a bit with Melinda in the last few days. And man, just joyful. The water's rising, could get in their home. I mean, they could, they could lose, lose a lot. They stand to lose a lot right there, as anybody does with their home. And she's sending me videos, and in the video, she's cheering. She's cheerful. She's not like, oh, oh, woe is me. Oh, death and doom are coming. You know, it's just, she's amazing. She's just giving glory to God. She, she was praising the Lord for the beautiful weather he'd given. I mean, just what a wonderful, faithful attitude. Thankful. I, and I could hear Melinda, she didn't say it, but I could hear her saying, hey, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Hey, are we, not gonna, are we gonna accept good from the Lord and not accept bad? I mean, so praise God, we gotta choose to be thankful. And we lo- note here in verse 21, Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked, do y'all say naked? Naked? Naked. In Georgia, it's naked. I was running around, Naked. And and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Anger leads to bitterness. Thankfulness leads to betterness. Boy, we just, we can get bitter, folks, or we can get better. Man, a thankful attitude helps us get better. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. You know what it tells me? If I don't have something to be thankful for, I need to be looking for something to be thankful for. Because the Lord says, in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So be thankful because even at our worst, God is always at his best. Amen? 
Be, be thankful because it requir- it's required. It, it is God's will. It is God's will. Not that we be grumpy and grouchy and upset and complaining and angry and mad, but that we be thankful. We be thankful. Uh, be thankful because it's essential for worship. Well, if you come in here all bitter and angry and mad, you, you're not, you're not going to get very far with worship. You come in with a thankful heart, boy, it's easy to worship the Lord when we're thankful. And, and uh, be thankful because it's proof of one's faith uh, in God's greatness. When we're thankful, it shows where we're at with the Lord. It shows our faith. It shows our trust in Him that when we're thankful. When we're not thankful, then we're questioning God. When we start getting angry, we're questioning God. We're doubting His goodness. We need to be thankful. And be thankful because it shouts victory to the devil. He just screams in his face, you have not won this one. You have lost because he wants to steal your joy. He wants you mad and angry. He wants to come between you and God, separate you from him, get you to walk away and accuse him and blame him and all that. Boy, when you're thankful, it just, it just screams victory in the devil's face. Number three, you need to give this. You need to give this. And that is your cares to God. Give your cares to God. Job 5.8, but as for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Now, early on, Job still got a good attitude. He's like, boy, if I could just talk to the Lord, I, I would just present everything, this whole need, this whole burden, I would just present this to him. 1 Peter 5.7 says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Folks, we carry around too much that ain't our business to carry. Well, it is my business. It's my house. No, it ain't yours. It's the Lord's. Your own life isn't yours. It's the Lord's. There ain't anything that you have that's yours. And if, and if we do, then we, 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 you know, we've got the wrong attitude about it. We, we're, we're supplanting God in His place. We don't, have, we don't have anything. And so we should just cast all our care upon Him. I, 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 in talking with Raymond this week, Raymond said, look, wood, hay, and stubble. It's just stuff. He said, I'm thankful for what we have. If we lose it, we have insurance. You know, he said at this point, it'd just be, uh, what did he say? It would just be um, inconvenient, no, that wasn't frustration, maybe frustration. Maybe it's like frustration level goes through the roof, but it's just stuff, right? Amen. We're safe. We're healthy. And uh, it's just stuff. Stuff can be replaced. Amen. So cast your care on the Lord. Now, one thing we have to be careful for is... uh, is acting like we know what other people are going through. Okay. And I've talked about this before, but we have to be real careful with, well, I know exactly what you're going through. Now, you may, be, you may have gone through a very, 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 very similar situation, but you really don't, we don't know everything. We don't know the details of any situation other than what we can see on the surface, right? So um, while... If, if there's a, you know, I, I've used this illustration. If, if there's somebody in our, house, in our church that loses their house in a house fire, I mean, I've not lost my house in a house fire. So I, 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 I'm not necessarily going to be, I can go and I can certainly have sympathy, but I, it's, it's going to be limited. But someone who's been through that, they could go then and, and go, boy, you know, I've, I've been there. But even then they can't go, I know exactly what you're going through because we don't. 
We don't know what other circumstances are going on in their life. We don't know what other things are there. So you have to be careful with that. And uh, because, you know, unless you've been through and you can't ever know that you've been exactly through what they're going through. So we have to be careful with that. And, and so that's kind of the problem that we had. We see in here with his friends coming along and they're and they're assuming this or they're assuming that and they're making accusations against a, a Job. But, but we, we also um, here's the thing. We don't really know what someone's going through, right? Even if I've kind of been through, I don't really know exactly what they're going through. I've not been flooded out of my home ever. So those of you already that have had to move, I've not experienced that. I can run that through my mind and kind kind of think I know how that might feel, but I don't really know. But you know, I know somebody who has. I know somebody who's been through these things. And, and he does know and he does care. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he cares and he can relate to any trial that you've been through. Anything that we've been through in life. He was tempted in every way that we were tempted, yet without sin. He was criticized, beaten, misjudged, rejected, and died like no one else. He, he, here's the thing. Jesus did all that. He was sinless. He was totally innocent. He, he died and he went through things no one else had ever been through. Because as, as, as good as we may be, there ain't one of us in this room that's innocent. There's no one in this room that's perfect. He was guiltless, perfect, innocent, sinless son of God. And he did that for us. But he went through that. And the scripture says that he was tempted in every way like we are. And yet he never sinned. So you talk about someone who knows what we're going through. God knows. Christ knows. He's been there. So give your cares to God. Give your cares to God. Here's what it does when we give our cares to the Lord. It releases us of the burden. Anybody, anybody raise their hand and testify to that right there? You ever worried about stuff? You ever worried about it? And then you learn how to give it over to the Lord and all of a sudden, wow. Man, you go from this, it just weighs you down. I mean, it's how you feel. I can't carry it. My legs are worn out. My back hurts. My shoulders. I mean, I just can't. I got all this burden on me. When we give that to the Lord, man, it's just, wow, it's freeing. And it releases when you cast that stuff on the Lord. And that doesn't mean come down here and go, Lord, would you work on this for me? And you get up and you just pick it up and carry it back with you. Man, if you're going to give it to it, give it, give it to him. He wants it. He, he, can, he can bear it. When we, when, we, when we do that, when we cast our cares on the Lord, it strengthens our faith. Amen? Strengthens our faith. Here's another thing it does. When we, when we cast our care on the Lord, it declares our dependence declares our dependence on Him. We quit being self-reliant. When we're trying to fix it, we're always, oh, oh, I can fix this because I'm smarter. I got more money or I got this or I got that. I can take care of this. No. When we come to that point, we cast it on the Lord and go, man, I can't do anything about it. Lord, I'm just give this to you. Man, it relieves that burden. It strengthens our faith, but it declares our dependence on the Lord. It silences Satan. It enhances our prayer life. Pray more when we're going through it. Look, there's a lot of people right now that are, that, are, that are walking with the Lord, looking to the Lord, seeking the Lord, that, because they need the Lord right now. And that, that's a good thing. Improves His care for us. When we cast our care on Him, He'll prove because He's faithful. And He'll provide care for us. Number four, we've got to do this. We've got we to gotta trust this. Trust this. God's ways, not my ways. 
Isaiah 55, 9, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We can't understand the Lord if we couldn't. How much of a, what kind of a God do we have if we can explain him? Amen? I mean, what kind of a God do we have if I can wrap my mind around God and I just fully understand it? I got it all. It's really easy. That's not much of a God. Okay, so we, we can't do that. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Job responds in chapter 13, verse 15. He says, though they he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job just trusted God. He trusted him. Even if he takes my life, he's, everything else has been taken. If he takes my life, I'm still going to trust him. Folks, that's where we got to get to. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, or 3, 5, and 6, yes, says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. There's three undeniable truths regarding God's ways. Number one, God uh, always knows what He's doing. You ever feel like, you know, I need to give God some counsel on this because He ain't working it the way, the way I think He ought to do it. Has he ever called you guys? I ain't got a text from him saying, hey, I need, give me a call when you can. I need to ask your, I need to get your advice on something. The Lord never has done that with me. I, I, haven't heard, I don't know if anybody has. Lord, the, the Lord always knows what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing. Number two, God makes no mistakes. He's perfect. He makes no mistakes. And number three, some things will not be revealed until we get to heaven. As far as I can tell, uh, in Scripture, for, as I've studied this book, Job, I've studied it. I can't find anywhere, and if you see it, please show me. I've not seen yet where God told uh, Job why that all happened. He didn't tell him why it happened. He, tell him, he, he, didn't, he didn't reveal to him the battle that was going on in heaven. None of that. It, it, he doesn't know. Job doesn't know. You know why? Because he just trusts the Lord. He just trusts the Lord. And I believe he knows now. And I believe when we get to heaven, we'll understand these things. Trusting God always requires great faith, obedience, and often sacrifice. So when God allows affliction and things happen in our life, uh, he does that not to break us, but to broaden us. He's not trying to break us, folks. He wants to strengthen us and grow us and broaden us. He wants us to be more like Christ. Okay, number, uh, I had a number four. This is number five. I think we got the wrong numbers there, don't we? It's number five. So the next thing is this. We want to look for this. Look for this. And we want to look for the good. Look for the good. Job 5, 9. Uh, speaking of God, which doth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. That's Job talking about God and and, and he sees the good that God does these great things and unsearchable things and marvelous things without number. He, he understood that. Romans uh, 8.28, someone referenced it in prayer this morning. might have been Brent over there. Referenced Romans 8.28. And we know that all things, listen, not some things, not, not a few things or most things, all in the Greek. We, we figured that word out. If we don't know any other Greek, you know what all in, all in Greek means, right? All means all. For we know that all things... Take it, take it here. Work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. I mean, God doesn't say losing your home to a flood is a good thing. But he says that all things work together for good to them 
that love God to them who are the called according to his purpose. He works these things together. So if we know that he's working in this and we know that God's involved in it and he is, then all we have to do is look. Look. Look for the good. Because if you look for the good, you're going to see God. Look for the good, especially when things look bad. Look for the good. Look for the good because God is good. When is God good? All the time. All the time God is good. So look for the good because God is good. Look for the good because the best days are still ahead. I don't care how good it is here, folks. The best days are still ahead. They're always ahead for us. Until we get to glory, the best days are ahead. This is, ju- this is just temporary. And look for the good because when we do, like I already said, we will see Jesus. Because he's working in it. And all it, all it takes is just, just simply look around and look for his hand. What a tragedy to miss the good while going through the bad. The good is there. And we can find it and we can see it because we know God is working in it. Anything that increases our faith, strengthens our prayer life, makes us more like Christ is a good thing. <clears throat> Storms are, are, are rough situations. They're bad things. But I'm going to tell you, when the way God works in it, if someone comes to faith because of that storm, they'll praise God for the storm. Amen? Look for the good. Look for what God is doing. Job chapter 42, verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. Now this is after he's been questioned by God. I don't remember now. It's 80-something questions or more that God asked Job. About two chapters here because Job's kind of got a smart mouth and an attitude. He says, Hey, you know, God asked him, so he says, stand up, son. He says, stand up. I'm going to ask you some things. And so Job's standing there, and God asks him some questions, and Job's response kind of like an impetuous little child. It's like, kind of like, huh, huh, huh. Okay, well, I'm just not going to answer you anymore. I'm not going to say anything. I was talking before. I ain't saying anything else. And so it's like the little kid that mom said, sit down. He said, all right, I'll sit down, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that, that, that's what Job was doing. He's standing up on the inside, and he's still got a problem. So God goes to asking him some more questions. And he gets here to chapter 42, all these questions, and the light comes on for Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Uh, God said, who is this who thinks he knows it all? Who is it? Who, who, are, who are you, Job? You think you know everything. Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Folks, whatever comes in life, if it'll bring us to that place where we get past ourselves and we just totally turn to the Lord, it's a good thing. Amen? Job got his heart right with God. And we'll see what, you know, you can read the rest of the chapter there and see what God did. God gave everything that Job had lost. He gave him everything back. Now, he didn't resurrect his 10 kids, but you know what he did? He gave him 10 more. He hadn't lost his kids. There's 10 that are, that are in heaven. And he gave him 10 more. He doubled everything that Job lost. God doubled it and gave it back. It's incredible, the story there. 
And it's a real, this is a real man. This really happened. And it's for us to see how to handle these situations. So Pastor Aaron, you and the team can come forward. As I, as I just wrap this up, where is God when bad things happen? Well, the answer is simple. He's in the same place he always is. It's right here with us. He's right there with you. He's right there with me. Hebrews 13, 5, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I, it's a, he'll never leave. The, 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 as I understand that word, that what that means is God says, I'll never leave you, meaning turn his back on or forsake you. It's to walk away. The Lord never turns his back on us. He never walks away from us. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So what do you do when life doesn't make sense? Number one, know God's character and always uh, the fact that he always trumps life's problems. Number two is choose thankfulness. Number three, we give your cares, give our cares to God. Number four, we trust God's ways. And number five, look for the good. Because when we look for the good, we'll always see God. Amen. Father, I thank you for our time this morning. And, and Lord,